We've been seeing each week that the letter of James is about living faith, faith in Jesus that makes a difference to our lives. And this morning, James is going to show us the difference faith in Jesus makes in the suffering and difficulties of our lives. The difference it makes to how we face those difficulties and suffering. James is going to call us to be patient when we face difficulties. He's going to call us to persevere through suffering. But there is more than one way to be patient and persevere. There is a kind of patience and perseverance that's actually just grim resignation. The kind of patience and perseverance where we have tried to beat our difficulties, we've done all that we can to overcome them, but in the end, our difficulties have beaten us. In situations like that, we're like a boxer who took on his opponent and got the stuffing knocked out of him. Maybe he's still on his feet, but he shuffles out of the ring with his head down, no fight left in him. Sufferings can produce that kind of patience in us. The kind of patience where we're still on our feet, but we're beaten into grim resignation. That's patience that comes from having no hope left. Then there's another kind of patience and perseverance that's actually carelessness. It's the Buddhist idea of non-attachment. In order to get through difficulties, we try to just stop caring about things. Instead of fighting our suffering, we try to float above it. Just be zen about it. We try to sleepwalk through life, hoping we'll be able to keep going if we pay no attention to the troubles we have. And so the point is, when we talk about patience in the midst of difficulties, we have to explain what kind of patience we're talking about. And this morning, James is going to talk about patience Christian style. The patience James is going to talk about is not the grim resignation that comes from being beaten by our difficulties, nor is it the unreal peacefulness that comes from acting like our difficulties aren't actually there. James is going to talk about the patience that comes from a living faith in Jesus Christ. It is a down-to-earth patience because it doesn't try to pretend difficulties aren't there. And it's also a hopeful patience because it shows that with Jesus, we cannot be beaten by those difficulties. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to James chapter 5. In the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1216, or in the larger print Bibles, 1884. In just a moment, we're going to read from verse 7 of chapter 5 down to verse 11. But just let's remind ourselves of the context here. In verses 1 to 6 of chapter 5, which we looked at last week, James pointed out one major element of the suffering these Christians are going through, the Christians who first received this letter. They are being cheated and oppressed 
by rich people in their society. When we looked at those verses last week, we said one reason James wrote those verses is to reassure these Christians, God is aware of what you're going through. He knows about the unjust treatment you're getting, and He will deal with it. James spoke in strong terms about the judgments that's coming on those rich oppressors, the misery they're going to face when they meet God. So those are the circumstances James' first readers are in. When he speaks to them now about patience, this is about patience in the midst of genuine trouble, real injustice. This is about being patient when it is not at all easy to be patient. And as we read this, maybe you are in a similar situation. Maybe you're facing an injustice or a trial of some kind that feels heavy and maybe even suffocating to you. And you're probably, if you're in that situation, a bit wary of being told again to be patient. But these words we're going to read come from our Lord, the one who can truly help us and give us hope in our suffering. So let's hear his word to us, beginning in chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. And stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is God's Word. And it gives us three aspects of patience Christian style. It's patience that looks forward to our Lord's return. It's patience that serves our Lord. And it is patience that trusts our Lord's proven character. First, in verses 7 and 8, patience, Christian style, looks forward to our Lord's return. When it comes to patience, it makes all the difference in the world to have an end point in mind. The long-distance runner runs with the finish line in his or her mind. In fact, in my own limited experience, the runner obsesses about the finish line from pretty early on in the race. The finish line is just about the only thing that keeps the runner going. The only runner I know of who ran with no end point in mind was Forrest Gump. You remember him? But the whole point about Forrest Gump was that he was not a normal person. 
Runners cannot face indefinite agony. And you and I cannot face an indefinite dose of whatever difficulty we are in. But one of the wonderful aspects of the good news about Jesus is that all difficulties and suffering have an end point. If you belong to Jesus, there is a finish line to your ordeal. I've mentioned running. James uses a different illustration for this truth in verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Critics of Christianity like to say that we are living a pie-in-the-sky life because we look forward to Christ's return. James' reply to that accusation would be, rubbish. It's normal to live looking forward. That is how we are designed as human beings. That's how human beings work. Who would persevere in farming if they weren't looking forward to the harvest. And we don't say that farmers are living a pie-in-the-sky life. We understand the human need to have an end point in mind. Someone has said the kind of patience we're talking about here is a pregnant patience. It's patience that has hope because it expects something or someone to arrive. In the case of the farmer, it's the arrival of his crop of barley or whatever it is. In the case of the pregnant lady, she's expecting the arrival of her baby. In the case of Christians, it's the arrival of our Lord Jesus. His return to put all wrongs right and bring a harvest of blessing and peace to his people. As Christians, our patience is pregnant with that wonderful expectation. And so we keep going as Christians, not because our difficulties don't bother us, not because we're desperately pretending they're insignificant. We keep going because we know our difficulties are not forever. Even if they last the whole of this life, they're not forever. And so we don't need to minimize them. We don't need to try and block them out. However bad they are, they have an end point. And beyond that end point is eternal blessing. You notice how verse 8 adds another detail to this. It tells us the Lord's coming is near. That's more encouragement to stand firm, literally to strengthen our hearts. The nearness of Christ's return is a very common New Testament theme. And so you and I might wonder, well, if they thought it was near 2,000 years ago when the New Testament was written, did they get it wrong since it hasn't happened yet? Well, not at all. 
If we read the New Testament carefully, we see what the writers of the New Testament mean by the word near. They mean it's the next big event in God's calendar. It's the final step in God's plan to deliver creation from its bondage to decay. In that sense, Christ's return has been near since the day he ascended to his Father's side in heaven after his resurrection from the dead. Because Christ's return to earth is the next big event from God's point of view, we're not waiting for anything else to happen first. In that sense, Christ's return was near 10 seconds after he descended back to heaven. And it's been near every day since then. So when the New Testament writers used the word near to speak of Christ's return, they were not making a prediction in terms of how many months or years might be left. They were thinking in terms of God's schedule. Christ's return is the next item on that schedule. And that's why as Christians in February 2022, we live with the awareness that Christ's return is near. Just like the Christians did in the year 1522, or the year 200, or any year since Ascension Day. And whatever suffering we face, whatever trials, we can strengthen our hearts by reminding ourselves of this truth. As Christians, our patience is not the kind of grim resignation that comes from being beaten by our difficulties, nor is it the kind of fake calm that comes from pretending our difficulties don't exist. Christian patience strengthens its heart and stands firm in difficulties because it knows Jesus will return to bring an end to those difficulties. We are not like Forrest Gump, running with no end in sight. And there's another reason why running is a good illustration of Christian patience. It's an appropriate illustration because running is an active thing, just like farming is. Farmers have to wait patiently for the rain and for the harvest, but their patient waiting does not take the form of sitting in a rocking chair chewing a piece of straw. I've never been a farmer, but I have worked on a farm probably the most incompetent farmhand in history. But my dad was a farmer, and I've seen farmers at work, so I know farmers are pretty busy while they're waiting patiently for the harvest to come. And here in verses 9 and 10, James says, patience Christian style is a lot like patience farmer style. It's not about being passive, Christian patience is an active patience. It serves our Lord instead of bickering with our brothers and sisters. To bicker is to argue and squabble over petty, insignificant things. And that's what James warns us not to do in verse 9. Don't Grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge 
is standing at the door. Why mention this in a passage, passage that's about patience? Well, when you and I face suffering and difficulties, very often we can do little or nothing to remove the suffering. Isn't that usually the case? There's often not much we can do to take away the difficulties. We have just seen that Jesus can do that, and he will. But in the meantime, very often you and I are stuck with those difficulties. And that can produce a frustration in us, a restlessness, which easily leads us to turn on those around us to lash out at them, and to bicker with them. Maybe because they don't seem to be supportive enough, or even just because their life seems to be trouble-free. And that seems unfair. And so, without even thinking what we're doing, we pick a fight with them. You know the scenario of the man who's had a bad day at work. His boss has been completely unreasonable. And the man then goes home and kicks the cat. Literally, in the case of one West Ham player recently, he kicks the cat and he shouts at his kids. He can't do anything about his boss, but he can let out his frustration on whoever gets in his way at home. You and I can be like that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When life puts us under great pressure, we can let out our frustration in this home, on this family. We can take offense at little, petty things, things that really aren't worth the trouble of an argument. And with that in mind then, James says, remember what we just talked about. Jesus is coming back. He's the judge of all. And remember what we said, his return is near. His hand, if you like, is on the door handle. Do you want him to open the door and find you having a go at someone in his church? Grumbling that they didn't give you a big enough smile on your way in? Or they didn't get excited enough about your great idea? You don't want to be caught bickering as you wait for the Lord's return. You want to be caught serving Him. Look how James makes that point in verse 10. After saying, don't grumble while you wait, in verse 10 he says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Don't waste your energy grumbling when you suffer. Use it to serve the Lord like the prophets did. And those guys knew all about suffering. The prophet we have most detail about is probably Jeremiah. He's often called the weeping prophet because of what he went through. He was beaten and put in the stocks. He had the master copy of his book burnt by the king. And it was not backed up on the cloud when that happened. 
And then eventually, Jeremiah was thrown into an underground water cistern where the mud in the bottom was deep enough that he sank down into it. And Jeremiah did not like any of that. But he carried on doing what got him into all that trouble in the first place. In his bitter suffering, he continued speaking in the name of the Lord. That's what God had given Jeremiah to do in his situation. And Jeremiah did not abandon that service to God just because he was going through suffering. And for you and me, we haven't all been given the same way to serve. But for all of us, patience, Christian style, means we find ways to serve in our suffering. We don't abandon service until life is trouble-free, whenever that might be. Nor do we waste our energy lashing out at others or picking fights with others. Nor do we respond to trouble by pulling back from others. Often when things are difficult, isn't our first instinct to isolate ourselves? Our first instinct is certainly not to try and minister to others. But that is what we're called to. That's what will stop us turning into grumblers and bickerers. Now, I understand when our situation is difficult, we may not have the energy to do much in the way of service. Jeremiah doesn't strike me as a high-energy prophet. When we read his sermons in the book of Jeremiah, I don't picture him leaping about as he preached those sermons. But in horribly oppressive circumstances, he continued to speak in the name of the Lord. And if you and I are willing to look for opportunities, we can serve the same Lord, even when our energy is low even when our options seem so restricted and so limited. All of us can look up from our own particular muddy cistern and we can notice some need we can meet in another person's life for the sake of our Lord. And I think James is suggesting here, not only is that possible for you and me, it is necessary for us if we're going to persevere in suffering. To keep going, we need to look beyond our suffering. And remember, we're not just helpless victims. We're servants of the Lord Almighty. Even while we're suffering. And he has prepared good works for us to do even in the midst of suffering. So patience, Christian style, refuses to become consumed with our own troubles. It chooses to serve others in the name of the Lord. And I don't know what that will look like for you personally in your difficulties, but the Bible has plenty to stimulate our thinking. We read some of 
the examples in the Bible from Hebrews 11 earlier in the service. You look more widely, the Bible is full of men and women who served while suffering. It wasn't all triumph. You see that in Hebrews 11, there's a, a transition between those who triumphed in their suffering and those who actually just got beaten further down. But they carried on serving. One writer says, when we read the Bible, we find brothers and sisters who went before us stretching out their hands to us, inviting us to follow their example. The Bible shows us we are not the only ones who've ever suffered. It shows us it is possible to respond to suffering with service instead of selfishness. And we can see the same truth by looking at some of the brothers and sisters in this fellowship. Right here, we have living examples of service in the midst of suffering. Patience, Christian style, looks forward to our Lord's return, serves our Lord, and trusts our Lord's proven character. Verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Job is an interesting example for James to use in this passage. Because as we read the book of Job... The word patience is not the first word that comes to our minds, I think. Even John Calvin, who is a sober and serious commentator, even he points out that Job showed considerable signs of impatience. He did a fair bit of protesting and complaining about his suffering. So why does James mention him here? Well, partly to remind us that Job did persevere, which is the word used in verse 11. For all of us protesting, he did not abandon his faith in the Lord. But if we take a closer look at verse 11, I think the main reason Job gets a mention is not because of his reaction to his suffering. Job is mentioned because of who God showed himself to be in Job's situation. If you're not familiar with Job's situation, he lost everything. His kids, his wealth, and his health. The only things Job was left with were his life and his wife. And by the signs of things, he may not have been too disappointed if he'd lost his wife. She was not the nicest lady. He loses everything, and he gets angry and upset about it. But in the end, two things happen. One is that God uses the experience to change Job, to refine him. Through his suffering, Job comes to know God like he never knew him before. God changed Job, and the second thing that happens is, in the end, 
God more than restored what Job had lost. The last chapter of the book says God gave him twice as much as he had before. And by doing those two things, God showed what he, God, is about. Look again how James puts it in the middle of verse 11. You have heard about Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. That last phrase could equally well be translated another way. You have seen the Lord's purpose. So as the NIV has translated it, James is saying, you've seen how things ended up for Job. His situation was transformed. Suffering gave way to blessing in the end. Then if we translate it the other way, James is saying, you've seen what God's intention was for Job. His aim was to transform Job as a person. From a man who protested to God to a man who was bowled over by God's absolute magnificence. So which is it? I think it's both. Certainly, as I've said, when we read the book of Job, it presents us with both. And so the point is, the book of Job is in the Bible to teach us about God, not Job. It's there to show us God's character. In Job's situation, God proved himself to be full of compassion and mercy. He cares about our circumstances, and he cares about who we are as people. And in the end, he will bring blessing out of our circumstances, and he will transform us as people. He is so full of compassion and mercy that he will do both. When will he do all of this? Well, maybe he will do it for you here and now. But definitely he will do it when Jesus returns. The New Testament says our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It says, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. So God might bless your circumstances and he might transform you now. But he has promised to do it when Christ returns. And we trust his promise because he has proven his character again and again. Again and again he has shown himself to be full of compassion and mercy. He showed it in Job's situation, yes, as well as many others in Scripture. But supremely, God has proven his character by sending his son Jesus to enter into our suffering and go to depths of suffering we will never experience, no matter how deep you and I go. Jesus has gone deeper into suffering. On the cross, he took the suffering of hell in our place. He was deluged with his father's wrath against sin. Together, the father and the son brought that about. 
so we could escape wrath. And so we could bask instead in God's compassion and mercy. So Christian patience is not built on thin air. It's not built on wishful thinking. We don't trust God in our suffering because we bet he'll be good to us. Christian patience is not a gamble. We know God will be good to us because he has proven his character beyond all doubt. So we trust him. We serve him even in suffering. And we do it all looking forward to our Lord's return. Our last two songs are about patience that is built on Jesus Christ. He's the one who proves beyond all doubt our God is full of compassion and mercy. And through his love then all must be well for us his people. Let's stand to praise our God.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.